Oh, good evening, Evie Free. Good evening. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Uh, this is a unique weekend. Uh, I think this is the first official weekend that all of our college students are officially in summertime. Is that, yes, let's give them a round of applause for making it through summer. Um, if you are a Biola student and you just graduated, if you want to stand, we want to we wanna applaud you for making it. If you're a Cal State Fullerton student and you just graduated, if you want to stand as well. There we go. I should have done them all at the same time, but, you know. Uh, well, good evening. My name is Austin Helm. I'm one of the teaching and venue pastors here. If this is your first time to EV Free, uh, we simply want to say welcome. Uh, we hope that you feel right at home. If you're a member of EV Free and you call this place home, then we simply want to say welcome home. But whether this is your first time or your 500th time to EV Free, we're simply a people that are gathered together because we are passionate about following Jesus as disciples connecting his family, and ultimately going out into the world as missionaries. You see, we think the life of discipleship, the life of being a family, the life of mission is the best possible life that we can live. It's the most deeply satisfying life that we can live. Now, when we live the life of discipleship and family and mission, it doesn't mean that it's all rainbows and unicorns. It doesn't mean that it's all easy, but the promise of Scripture is that even though it's difficult, it's deeply satisfying. It's deeply rewarding. And, and so oftentimes when we gather here, we, we talk about that tension. We talk about sometimes the tension and the difficulty of following Jesus, but the deep reward of following Jesus. It's why we're, we're currently in a series about generosity. You see, when we talk about generosity, oftentimes we're talking about a space in our lives that is, it's a little bit uncomfortable. And sometimes it's even a little bit painful because oftentimes generosity doesn't come naturally to us. But in, in the journey of discipleship, in the journey of being a family and being on mission, when we begin to practice generosity against our instincts, what we find is that the life of generosity is the most satisfying kind of life to live. And so we're spending about six weeks on generosity. Uh, last week, Aaron Kerr did a phenomenal job talking about being generous with our time. Uh, next week, we're going to talk about being generous with our talents. And, and this evening, we're going to talk about being generous with our story. And, and I think tonight, as we, as we unpack the scriptures, we're going to find something very interesting about what it means to be generous with our story. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Acts chapter 17, beginning in verse 26, uh, this is a story about Paul. And when you read the story of Paul all throughout the New Testament, it appears as though Paul lives this epic kind of life. He travels the known world at the time, planting churches, healing the sick, preaching the gospel, and raising the dead. And at one point he says this as he's speaking to a crowd, beginning in verse 26, Acts chapter 17. It says, from one man, God made all the nations of the earth that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Verse 27, God did this so that we would seek him. And perhaps in seeking him, we might reach out to him and then reaching out to him, we might find him. 
though he is not far from any one of us. Verse 28, the first half. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. This is such a powerful, potent piece of scripture. Uh, And before we dive into it, we just want to pray. Uh, We think that when we read words such as this, they are more than stories and they are more than pearls of wisdom. These words actually have the power when, when infused with the Holy Spirit to change us. That we can actually walk out of this room different than the way that we walked in. So can we pray together? Father, we thank you for this space. We thank you for a space in which we can, we can gather together to pursue you, to seek after you, and, and to do it corporately, to do it as a family. And so tonight, Father, we ask you that as we open your word, as we read from your scriptures, we know that it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide soul from spirit and bone from marrow. So, Father, we ask you tonight that you would teach us just at least one thing about yourself. One thing about yourself that would help us to walk out of this room differently than the way that we came in. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Oh, amen. Uh, did, did anybody watch the, uh, the Thunder Warriors game last night just by a show of hands? Uh, listen, I, I'm watching this series and I'm so torn. I, I like the Warriors. They're, they're a great team. They, they play great basketball. They're kind of like the good guys of the NBA. But at the same time, I'm from Oklahoma. I need to be rooting for the Thunder. And when you're, when you're Oklahoma and you're up 3-1, you're just thinking to yourself, we got this. Like, we've got it. And now, all of a sudden, the Warriors force a game seven. And it's the reason I don't watch basketball. It's really, really stressful. In fact, of all the sports that I watch, basketball is my least favorite because I feel like it's kind of high-octane energy the whole time. There's no real slumps in basketball. It's constant back and forth, back and forth. Whereas football and baseball, they're, they're games of anticipation, there are, there are entire segments in which you're kind of sitting back waiting for that touchdown or waiting for that base hit or waiting for that, that, that home run, right? But, but just by a show of hands, how many of you in here would prefer to watch basketball over baseball and football? Just by a show of hands, there, there's a number. We're in the right room right now for basketball. If you would rather watch football or baseball over basketball, let's see those hands. It wasn't a fair question, though. It's two versus one. Now, now, if you're in the room and you would rather watch anything else besides basketball, baseball, or football, let's see those hands. There's a number of us. But, but let's be honest. Of all of the hands that are raised right now, I, I imagine whether it's sports or regular TV, we all have a show that we love to watch. Maybe it's on cable. Maybe it's on network television. Maybe it's on Netflix. But statistics now say that by the time that we pass away, we will have spent 20 years of our life in front of a screen. 20 years of your life in front of a screen. Now, that might be movies. uh, That might be TV shows. uh, That might be playing video games. But that's quite a bit of time. Uh, And and so I just want to pull up. I kind of want to get a feel for the room we're speaking with right now, knowing that we're going to spend 20 years of our life watching TV. I wanted to get online and look at what are the most popular TV shows according to imdb.com. 
And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put these up there. And if you watch this show, I, I just want to get a show of hands to see if you're in this camp. Uh, I looked at the top 15, and I just picked four of them. I picked four uh, that seemed interesting. Some of them I haven't even seen an episode for, but knowing that we're all TV watchers in here, according to statistics, I imagine there's at least a couple. So uh, number 15... 15 of 15 when it comes to the most popular TV shows, according to IMDb, was The Walking Dead. Is anybody in here a Walking Dead fan? Just by a show of hands. There's a couple of us. If you don't know what it's about, it's Sheriff Deputy Rick Grimes leads a group of survivors in a world overrun by zombies, fighting the dead and fearing the living. This is the caption from the website. Now, number 11 of 15. This is a really interesting show. I thought this was fascinating. It's a show called Vikings. Does anybody in here watch Vikings? There's like one of us in the room that watches Vikings, but I know why. It's so cold in the show. It's about Vikings living up in uh, the Netherlands and, and going on these escapades. This is what it says. It says, this is the journey of Ragnar Lothbrok, the first Viking to emerge from Norse legend and onto the pages of history, a man on the edge of myth. And then we're going to go to the number one show. And I imagine we'll get a few hands for this. I've never seen it. But the number one show, according to IMDb, is Game of Thrones. Are there any Game of Thrones fans in the house? There's a couple of us. Uh, This is what they say about Game of Thrones. Uh, They say, this is a civil war that brews between several noble families as the descendants of former rulers attempt to rise to power. These are apparently, when you look at them, shows of epic proportion, filled with adventure. Some of us haven't even seen these. So I'm going to show you my top five movies. And I got to say, I think I have a good, uh, good taste when it comes to movies. So I think this entire room is going to resonate. Number five. My number five movie to watch of all time is Ocean's Eleven. That's a good movie. Listen, it's not my favorite, but it's probably the best movie ever made. When you look at cast, script, cinematography, it's awesome. Uh, Number four, the Jason Bourne trilogy. That's a strong, that's a strong trilogy. Number three, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. I know I'm cheating. I'm doing trilogies now. I'm getting more movies in my top five. Uh, my number two movie of all time is Gladiator. Yeah, ooh, that's a good one. And if you see a pattern here, some of you might be able to guess my number one movie, and it is Mel Gibson in the movie Braveheart. Uh, the, these are shows of epic and massive proportions. And, and I think the reason that we spend 20 years of our life in front of screens. The reason that we spend 20 years of our life watching TV shows and watching movies is because we love a good story. In fact, it's not just this generation that has loved a good story. Since the beginning of time, the primary mode of communication has been to tell stories. There's an old Indian proverb uh, that says, tell me a fact and I'll learn something. Tell me a truth and I'll believe you. But if you tell me a story, I will carry it with me forever. 
You see, stories all throughout history have carried massive, massive power. And so we're just going to do a quick little um, English lesson in the room. The, the reason we love stories and they never get old is because they all follow a similar formula. So uh, this will be on the iPad. Uh, most stories, ooh, went off the screen a little bit there, follow a similar trajectory. Uh, one of the first things you have in any story is you have the introduction, Uh, And then as you are introduced to the characters and you're introduced to the setting, there's an event that happens right here, and it's the initial action. This is the thing that that sets the story on its course. And then throughout this entire segment right here, you have what they call rising action. It's all the things, all the elements that are leading here to the very pinnacle, which is the climax. And then once you hit the climax, you have this entire segment, which is the falling action. Action. And then finally, down here, right at the very bottom, you have the conclusion. And the idea behind the conclusion is that the conclusion would leave you in a spot that is equal to or better than the introduction. So, for instance, if you're reading Lord of the Rings and the introduction, you're introduced to Middle Earth and to hobbits and to wizards and to the Shire. And then for this initial action, Gandalf visits Frodo and and asks him to embark on a journey to destroy a ring. And so during the rising action, Frodo travels sometimes with his friend Sam, sometimes with an entire group, and they reach this space called Mount Mordor. Is that right? Mount Mordor? Mount Doom. It's in Mordor. I love this. I love, I love these guys right here. Um, so that they reach the mountain, and it's Sam, and it's Frodo, and it's another nemesis, and this conflict ensues in which they try and destroy the ring. I won't tell you what happens in case you haven't seen it. But after that, a series of events unfold that lead back to a space that is hopefully equal to or better than the way the Shire was in the beginning. But this is, if you were to follow the story of Gladiator, of Braveheart, of Lord of the Rings, of Jason Bourne, this is how the world works because we are all looking for the tension in our lives to be resolved. You know, oftentimes when we open the text, when we open the scriptures, it's difficult for us to see the story in the scriptures. We oftentimes see it as simply words of wisdom or rules to live by. But when we open the scriptures, we find this same kind of arc at work. In the beginning of the story, we're introduced to a garden, a garden that is wonderful and beautiful and has everything for life and godliness. But then as the garden begins to fall apart, there's this initial action in which God calls Abraham and his entire family to be the solution to the problem of evil that surfaced in the garden. And then as you follow Abraham and his descendants during the rising action, you encounter all these things called covenants. You encounter characters like Abraham, like Moses, like Joshua, and like David. And all of this, when you read the arc of Scripture, it ends in this climactic moment 2,000 years ago in which Jesus gives his life on a cross for his people. And when you read the text of Scripture, the idea is that from that point forward, it's the falling action towards the resolution. And this falling action right here is the work that the local church participates in, to expand the goodness and the kindness and the grace of God into every corner of the world until finally the conclusion in the book of Revelation, everything is restored. 
Everything is completely put back together in its place. And this is the story that the local church is called into. When we gather, we, we recount these stories. We read of Abraham and of Moses and of David and of Jesus and of Paul. And when we read the stories, they're epic in proportion. It's Abraham gathering his family, everything that he owns, leaving everything that he has with his father and journeying to a land that he does not yet know. When you read the story of Moses, it is this colossal conflict between Moses and Yahweh on the one hand and Pharaoh and his gods and the armies of Egypt on the other hand. And ultimately the story ends with the entire Egyptian army getting swallowed in the sea and Israel ends up liberated and on the other side. When you read the story of David, you find that David has an army and he's securing the border of Israel. And so he is engaged in conflict with all of the enemies that surround him. When you get to Jesus, you read this epic story about a teacher prophet that is a a soon-to-be king. And he engages in a conflict with Herod, the religious leaders, and ultimately the entire Roman Empire and Caesar. Paul takes on this same mantle of this epic, colossal life in which he takes on the Roman Empire, not just in Israel, but he expands the battlefront to the known world, to the Roman world, to its provinces, and ultimately to its capital. This epic, colossal story is the story that we are called into. But this week, when I was thinking about this, there's a, there's a, tension for me. And the tension is this. I'm called into this epic, colossal story, but oftentimes when I look at my life, it doesn't seem very epic and colossal. In fact, when I oftentimes actually survey my calendar day to day, my life looks less exciting. In fact, if I'm going to be honest, sometimes my life looks boring and mundane I wake up to the same alarm clock every single morning. I eat the same breakfast every single morning. I drive the same way to work every single morning. When I look at my calendar, each day is the same depending on the day of the week. And then I I leave at the same time and I take the same way home. And if I can make it to the gym, hopefully I'm I'm going to the same gym every time. And And then maybe, maybe if I have enough time, I try and escape by pulling up a show on Netflix. My life isn't very exciting, so I'm hoping to watch somebody else's life that is exciting. My life doesn't seem very adventurous, so so I'm I'm, I'm trying to live vicariously through somebody else that is living adventurous. See, if you're like me and you take an honest survey of your life, it's kind of boring. It's kind of mundane. It's, It's kind of the same thing over and over and over again. And so as I'm studying this this week, I'm put in this tension and I'm asking myself, well, these people, apparently these folks that live these great, grand lives, surely they have inspiration for me. Surely they have something to say to me that is going to help me live a life that is larger than life, a life that is louder than a life that can be turned down. And so I turned the words of Paul And Paul says that the local church should have ambition. 
that it should have drive, that it should be deeply motivated. And in 1 Thessalonians, I believe it's chapter 4, verse 11, back on ProPresenter. Pull that up for you guys real quick so you can see it on top of the great graphic. (laughs) One more. There it is. Paul says this to his people. He says, make it your ambition. Make it your motivation and your drive to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. And you should work with your hands just as we told you. I mean, this is such a fascinating idea because it wars against everything inside of me. I want to live this loud life. I love checking out in the grocery store and seeing the gossip column on the side. I love dreaming about a world in which I'm a trust fund baby and I don't have to work anymore. Like these are things that I think about. But when Paul talks, Paul says, make it your ambition to live a quiet life. And the tabloids and the gossip, just Mind your own business and make it your joy not to dream of retirement and not to dream of not having to work, but make it your goal to do something simple, something constructive, something productive with your hands. Uh, This wars against something inside of me, but it also kind of brings me great peace and consolation because sometimes when I look at my year, the most epic thing I did was go to a shooting range. I'm not even talking about hunting. I'm talking about like a shooting range. It was like a target already in front of you. Like this is the most unadventurous kind of shooting that you can do. And, and, and so I think about my life like, man, there, there's great peace in this because my life seems to be quiet. And I don't foresee being a trust fund baby anytime soon. And, and, and so I read this and I'm encouraged. And in fact, as people are studying this, one of the things I'll say is, Paul might be saying this to kind of, to war against not just laziness and wanting to be famous, but Paul might know that we love highlight reels. Like, like I love ESPN. ESPN is one of my favorite ways to watch sports because it's just the highlights. It, it, it's just all the good stuff in about 30 seconds. And when I look at my life, I want my life to be one long 40, 50, 60, 70 year highlight reel, right? Like on my Instagram account, I want every single photo to be absolutely epic. But when we look at our lives, they just, they just aren't like that. In fact, um, recent kind of scholars and people that are studying this idea, uh, they're saying that if you want a great highlight reel, if you want a great life, there are all these things that happen in the shadows. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell, he writes this great book called Outliers. And he talks about the idea that if you want to be great at anything, it's going to cost you about 10,000 hours to be great at it. If you want to be great at your job, it's going to cost you about 10,000 hours. If you want a great marriage, it's going to cost you about 10,000 hours. If you want a great friendship, it's going to cost you about 10,000 hours. Uh, This is what he says in Outliers. He says, the emerging picture from such studies is that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve the level of mastery associated with being a world-class expert in anything. You want, to be, you want to have an expert marriage? 10,000 hours. You want an expert friendship? 10,000 hours. You want an expert in your job? 10,000 hours. 
It says a neurologist, Daniel Levitin, writes this. And so as I study this, I'm realizing that most of my life isn't lived in the spotlight. And most of my life isn't even exciting. And so I'm thinking about this idea, what does it mean to be generous with my story? Because oftentimes I feel like I don't really even have a story to share. I have what I ate at Bray's Best in the morning, what I worked during the day and what I watched at night. That, that tends to feel like my story. Uh, but, but oftentimes as we look at what it means to be generous, when we read the text, the first place to be generous is towards God. That with our money, the first place to be generous is towards God. With our time, the first place to be generous is towards God. And and when I think about our stories, uh, one of the things I was thinking about this week is the idea of being generous towards God with our stories. In, In other words, inviting God into all of the boring, mundane aspects of our lives. The boring 10,000 hours we spend trying to be great at our job, inviting God into that. The 10,000 hours we spend practicing on developing a great marriage, inviting God into that. Uh, The the 10,000 hours we spend studying in school, inviting God into that. In fact, Ephesians says this. This is what Ephesians says. He says, in verse, chapter 4, verse 4, For there is one body, and there is one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called. And there is one Lord, and one faith, and one baptism, and one God, and one Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. The reason Paul is saying this is because he's talking into a context in which they had a different God for everything. They had a different God for the workplace. They had a different God for the marketplace. They had a different God for agriculture. They had a different God for fertility. And one of the things Paul is saying is that the one God, Yahweh, he is the God that is absolutely convinced that he wants to be involved in every single aspect of your life. He wants to be involved in your job. He wants to be involved in the marketplace. He wants to be involved in your marriage. And so at the end, he says, for there is one God who is over all and through all, and that God is in all, that he's in everything. And so I think about what does it mean to be generous with our story, uh, to be generous towards God first and foremost, to invite God into every aspect and every area of our life. Uh, Colossians says this. This is Colossians chapter 1 verse 17. It says that he is before all things and in him everything holds together. Now there's a few different ways to look at this and all of them are true. One of them is our past. That when we look at our past and all the things that have led us to this point, all of our successes, all of our triumphs, all of our heartbreak, all of our disappointments, God is somehow holding them all together. And even in the present age, as we feel like we're being stretched, we're being stretched in our families, being stretched in the workplace, uh, being stretched in our schools, there's something about God wanting to be invited into every portion and part of it because he wants to hold it all together. 
And then when we think about our future, I feel like Abraham sometimes journeying into a space we don't even know, but it is Jesus that wants to hold everything together. In, in fact, in Romans, he'll say, it's God who works everything together for the good of those who love him. And so when we talk about being generous with our story, and if we want to be generous towards God first with our story, we begin to go through the spiritual disciplines it takes to invite God into every single area of our life. Because he isn't just concerned with our successes. He isn't just concerned with our failures. He isn't just concerned with our triumphs. He isn't just concerned with our heartbreak. He isn't just concerned with the highlight reel. God is concerned with the nitty gritty, the boring and the mundane of our life. Because God is overall. He's through all and he's in all. And for most of us in here, this is a complete paradigm shift. You mean God wants to be invited into the workplace? You mean God wants to be invited into my classroom? You, you mean God wants to be invited into my budget? You mean God wants to be invited into the way that I take care of my life? And God wants to be invited into it because he wants to breathe and infuse his life into it. So before we can be generous with our story towards other people, I think the challenge of the church is to be generous towards God. First, God, I want you to have more of my story. God, I want you to be involved in more of my story. God, I want you to be invited into more of my story. Be invited into my health. Be invited into my finances. Be invited into my marriage and my friendships, my relationships. God, be invited. For people that follow Jesus, this is an amazing thing. This is an amazing way to be generous because if you're like me, I love to segment my life off and to say, God, you can have this part of my story, but I think I'm better off taking care of this side of my story. God, you're invited into this side of my story, but I'm inviting other people into this side of the story. But when Paul speaks, he speaks in such a way that God saturates every part of our lives. And so beginning tonight, we want to be the kinds of people that are generous towards God with our story. And so eventually in 1 Thessalonians, uh, Paul will say this. He, he gives his church three commands. He says, rejoice always. He says, pray continually. He says, give thanks in every single circumstance. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. To invite God into every space of our life. And so we're going we're gonna to head into worship for just a couple minutes. And as we do, I would encourage you, think about what spaces you aren't being generous towards God with in your story. Think about what spaces you haven't quite invited God into your story with. And during worship, we're gonna create a space in which we can say, Lord, would you come and have this piece of my story? Would you come and have this piece of my life? 
Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have called us into an epic, colossal, grand story in which you are restoring and you are redeeming everything. And Father, thank you that in the midst of our oftentimes boring and mundane lives, you're deeply interested in it. You're deeply invested in it. That somehow the way our past, our present, and our future, and everything we've done up until this moment, we know that you want to work all of those things together to be a part of this grand cosmic story. And so tonight, Father, we want to begin to surrender portions of our life back to you. We want to be generous towards you with our story. And with every, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're somebody where you have a piece of your story that you haven't quite invited God into, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's the workplace, maybe it's your budget, maybe it's your health, I just want to pray for you. If that's you and you just want to raise your hand, I just want to pray for you this evening. You want God to have more of your story. You want to generously invite God into your story. I see those hands. Thank you. You can put those hands down. Father, I pray for everyone that just raised their hand. Would you help them to be generous with their story towards you by generously inviting you into their story? By surrendering and laying more of their story at your feet and saying, God, would you come and inhabit this place? Would you come and live in this space? Would you come and dwell in this season? Father, that's our prayer, that we would submit everything to you that we would be generous with our story by generously inviting you into our story. So Holy Spirit, in these next two or three minutes, would you come and do what only you can do? Would you come and change us and shape us and form us? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together this evening.